Welcome to the Badass Broadcast, the podcast about badass broads. That's right. I'm Carrie. And I'm Shalom. And um, we're back at it for our next episode. <laughs> we just keep going on and on and on. Yeah. Won't stop. Won't stop. <laughs> <laughs> we'll try to keep going as long as we can. Oh my God. That's so, <laughs> so negative. Come on. <laughs> The best I didn't part mean, of our lives. I didn't mean it that way. I didn't mean it like that. Um, no, I'm having a blast. Just today, I've got like a bit of a headache, and I think I'm a little dehydrated. So my enthusiasm is like not like peak level, but I will get into it, and then I will be like super excited. All right, that's good. So, so just let me adjust myself here. How was your week? No very crazy very stories? quiet, and I pretty much didn't barely moved off of the couch (laughs) (laughs) that's good but um yeah I mean I I didn't I didn't really do much of anything I mean there were a couple of days where I had like made orders to pick up from uh Canadian Tire because I love that store oh my god and then I get the email your order's ready for pickup so like yay isn't that the best email you can get yeah oh my god so I basically I I drove to Canadian Tire a couple times and then um yeah I did that like three times (laughs) did you get anything exciting that I would find exciting or just your own shit um I I would not find exciting if so you can never mind I don't need to know I got a slow cooker and then I used it to make some soup, which was really, really amazing. It was like creamy potato, cheesy soup. It was so good. Your favorite soup. It was so, so good. Amazing for my first time making it. Um, But then, I mean, just a bunch of little things. I got like a trunk organizer for my car and which I hadn't had in a couple of years because it got stolen out of my backyard. So just practical things mostly. Nothing super fun or anything. Well, you know what they say, 2020 is hindsight. (laughs) (laughs) Finally. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. (laughs) How was your week? What is your... Oh, it was fine. It was whatever. A normal week? I have a question. Okay. What is your reflection of 2020? Oh. Good, bad, learned, loved, hated, loathed. Um... I guess it was a time for reevaluation of like where, you know, I think I, I'm pro- I'm not the only person in that position, but like when you're kind of going along in your life and it's just like normal, 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 and then you get hit with this bomb basically, yeah. just completely turns everything upside down. I think it, it, um, it causes or can cause, probably should cause you to sort of reevaluate things and, um, just sort mm-hmm. of, um, do some really like deep reflection of like, is this really where I want my life to go? And, you know, making changes that um, can hopefully better your life, even in the midst of like a catastrophic sort of worldwide stuff event. Yeah. What about you? Um, I like that. That's a good answer. I think um, like on a sincere note, I, really think that uh this might come across as kind of harsh because it's so fresh but um 
and we don't know what horrors 21 has in store for us, but <laughs> I think I think 2020 was perspective changing for so many people and I think if we want it to be some of our worst experiences can be the best things that ever happened to us. Mm-hmm. You know, like this can be the thing that turns your life around or dislodges you from places you are stuck and yeah. Yeah, like I'm not saying that from inexperience. I've I've experienced quite a bit of disappointments and such in my life, but yeah, that's kind of my goal this year anyways to just accept challenges and hardships as opportunities instead of feel sorry for myself because that tends to be my default. Uh-huh. And uh yeah, and that's just full circle cuz this this is what we do. This is what the podcast is about, right? Is women who've accepted challenges as opportunities and changed the world because of that perspective. So yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean like for me, I have plans for 2021 that are like a little more ambitious and a little bit crazy, you know, Mm um, uh, just looking back at like my past, like things that I wouldn't have never done before. Um, but yeah, just doing something new, just taking a new opportunity, just even if you don't have it right in front of you, just create it for, you know, yeah. you can build like, what, what are we doing here, right here? <laughs> like, this is not us. This is not yeah. nothing yeah, I would have like, ever done before. I was actually listening to an old episode of My Favorite Murder, one of our, the podcasts that we listen to. And uh, Georgia was just saying like, you don't have to be perfect. Just start. Yeah. Just start and just do it. And you'll figure it out and you'll get better at it as you go. And that's like, that's what we're doing here. It's like, we don't need to be experts and we don't give a fuck if we don't like, if we're not perfect right off the bat, but. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause uh, yeah. Cause if you wait until you get it just right, you'll never get there. You'll never do it. Cause you'll never never be perfect. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So I'm, I'm really excited cause that makes it like, that makes life so much more exciting, you know? It's just like but, doing shit. Yeah. Just fucking do it. And I mean, like, here's, <laughs> here's also a pearl of wisdom for your, from your wise aunt Carrie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't have to be a new year to come to that conclusion and to, yeah. to make a new start or to just do something you've never done before. Um, you can do that anytime. Yeah. It doesn't have to be January. Yeah. You know? Exactly. It doesn't have to be the January after a shitty year. You can just like anytime. When you decide that you're in... You're fed up with... Whatever is going on. Yeah. 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 But you'll Good you'll job. never change what you keep tolerating, right? So Yes, that's true. And yeah. So that's our... Uh, our New little, Year's reflection. Yeah. Some people do words of the year, and I, I used to do that a lot, but... Then I just lose sight of it by February. So yeah. just, and then every once in a while I'll go, oh, yeah, what was my word this year? So, uh, yeah, I'm not doing that this year. But I think, like, just over the course of the last year, it sounds like really like, oh, it's been, like, the shittiest year. And it has been. And it's been, like, the most upsetting for me because I, like, all this, like, I've worked, like, two years towards this goal and I, I did it. I did the thing. And then... It was like COVID just stuck a big middle finger up at me. And I'm like, Right oh. at that time when you I'm were like, going to oh. make that big jump. Okay. It was like the timing was yeah. like so imperfect. It was yeah. perfect. Sorry. <laughs> totally I just, just totally spat, spat across the table at her. COVID. 
good. So, yeah, it seemed yeah. like you had to take a little ch- step back, but I was overall, like, like, it seems like it's been, like, still, you're still moving forward. You're just not in the physical place where you thought you would be. Well, I, so to be vulnerable for a second, I've been hella depressed for, like, the last six months just because of that, like, because my plans were set in stone and everything was ready to go and I was going to like take the leap and start my own business and all that shit. But all of a sudden this happens and it's like, oh, I know that there's hundreds of thousands of people in the same position that yeah. were like ready to make a big move or do something cool. and then, Or just started something. Yeah. And then yeah. like, yeah. So uh, I was really depressed, but not, not in the like not like feeling sorry for myself. I was really just thinking like, okay, this is an opportunity to change. All right. Now I have to change direction. And so like, what am I going to do next? And just trying to like dwell on that and kind of like mourning the loss of a dream yeah. and trying to come up with like what's next and just kind of taking a moment to rest and be like, I've been fighting, literally fighting for the last two years to get to this point where I wanted to be. And now I have to like, figure out start from zero kind of thing so I don't know um yeah so now I'm I'm kind of kind of feel like I'm starting to crawl out of that pit and like try and like starting to make some moves and and stuff like that but overall the last year has been like amazing for all of the measurable things like I, my credit score has gone way up. I've got really serious about my finances. I'm getting that shit together. I'm, I'm adulting more than ever and better yeah. than ever <laughs> than I've ever done. And so it's just, it's really exciting. And so even just the last six months, as much as I've hated it, it's been such a huge blessing and such a great opportunity to grow. And yeah, I'm just really excited yeah. about the future again for the first time in like Probably the last few weeks, I've been really starting to get excited about the future mm-hmm. again. Whereas, yeah, it's just been like brutal for a few yeah. months there. So, yeah. yeah. But it's, you know, I, I hate to sound cheesy and to, you know, take lines from our parents, but it's your choice to be happy or not. It's your choice to. Yeah. And you know what? Like that, that is so funny because you mentioned that, but like that's. One of the things that's sort of been my, I don't know, I don't want to say war cry, but one of the things that's really been like going over and over in in my mind, like not just this year, but the last few years is like your greatest power is your power to choose. And and like, it doesn't matter what your circumstances are, like you're choosing how to respond to it. Yeah. You're choosing how to, whether to just like lay down and wallow in it or to like rise above. Yeah. And um, some people, for some people, it happens a lot quicker. It's a lot faster process. For me, I'm a very slow bloomer. (laughs) (laughs) Or it's like, even if you know it in your head and you're like, yeah, I know what my next step needs to be, but then it's like, it's going to take me a while to physically get ready to do that thing and then to jump into it and and to commit to actually doing it that that is very very hard for me to like make those kinds of changes okay yeah yeah, me too (laughs) it's it's a dive like it's like oh yeah i'm losing my safety net but your safety net isn't really keeping you safe so yeah (laughs) you gotta do something about it yeah well that's exciting that's our little lecture for the year but i i do like 
I am really excited about this new year and not yeah. to say that there's any expectations on 21 to behave like a normal fucking year, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, just my perspective is at that point where I'm going to take it on head on and I'm just going to like make the most of it and I'm going to grow through this year, no matter what it yeah. looks like in the tangible, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. You want to get into this? Yeah, let's get into this. Let's do it. So for today, I... Oh, never mind. Go on. (laughs) I was like, wait, who are you doing? And then I'm like, oh, she's talking. Like, I'll just shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so for uh, my person today, I chose to go with somebody who is um, uh, a sort of a um, hero of the faith. Because we were both Christians, and um, and uh, that's really something that's really important to us. So I wanted to like sort of talk about somebody who has um, made an impact in that realm, but not just that. She okay. made a huge impact in her world and her day. So today we're going to talk about uh, Corey Ten Boom. Okay, you know what? I've heard that name so many times. I don't think I know anything about that person. Okay. She is, she is a total oh, it's badass. A she. Okay. Yeah. Obviously. Yes. It is a she. Okay. Um, okay. So some of my resources were, uh, the U S Holocaust Memorial Museum, Wikipedia, of course, um, which had a lot of amazing, amazing, uh, resources. And there's no way I could have even touched on all the books that they got from. So I don't even know. Okay. Um, uh, various YouTube videos. I watched like parts of some of like her, her messages and stuff like that. Um, cause she did a lot of like preaching in later years. Um, uh, I haven't read the, her, her sort of groundbreaking sort of like main autobiographical book is called the hiding place. Um, I didn't read it this time around just cause I didn't have time, but I watched the movie. Okay. Which is actually a really great movie. It was made in 1975, but it, it holds up to today's stand. Like it's pretty good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's on Amazon Prime if you want to check it out. What's it called? The Hiding Place. The Hiding Place. Yeah. Um, so, Corrie ten Boom was born Cornelia Arnolda Johanna ten Boom in um, <laughs> April 15th, 1892. So, her father, Casper, was a watchmaker. Mm-hmm. In, uh, so, she was born in Amsterdam. And when she was a year old, um, they moved to Harlem. Oh, Harlem. that's quite the change. No, like Harlem, uh, Holland. Oh, okay. Not okay. Harlem, New York. Gotcha. <laughs> Harlem with two A's. Okay. Um, so she had uh, three siblings. There was Betsy, then there was Willem, and then there was Nolly, and then Corey was the youngest. She was born a, a one month premature, and she wasn't expected to live. Which is a miracle in itself, like, just thinking about, like, all the work that she did, like, just the fact that she survived when she wasn't supposed to. Um, you know, Grandpa, when was he born? Like, how preemie was he? He was about two months premature uh, in 1907. two pounds, two ounces, and fully expected to die. Yes. And his mom brought him home. Right? Or she had him at home, maybe. Probably had him at home. Probably back in those days. On the farm. And she literally had him like in a box on the attic on a chair at the end of the oven, just to keep yeah him right warm. by the oven yeah yeah. 
and kept the oven on and just to keep him warm. But he was like fully, the doctors were like, yeah, he's going to die. Like, And then he, he had then, um, 13 children. Okay, we, we counted it out once. And with his children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren. It's oh, something well like, over 100 years. Over 100. People. Yeah, it was something like 150. Yeah. That have survived because he survived. Like and he lived to be 91. Like, yeah. He was, he was a tough little guy. I mean, he was a total Oshlock, like, but. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but I think I know what you mean. <laughs> German asshole. German for asshole. Yeah, he was. He, he wasn't the, the greatest. He was a jerk of a human, but he, if he didn't live, then you and I wouldn't be alive. Like, mom yeah. lived, you know. So many people wouldn't be here on this earth. So yeah. that's kind of a cool thing. Like, yeah. Whenever you hear of preemies, I always think of that, like, like how much the world would be different if that person hadn't survived. So. Exactly. That's exactly. Cool. Um, so, yeah, um, they moved to Harlem to take over the watch shop. Like her, her grandfather had this house in the middle of Harlem. It was like he did a, like watch repair, sold jewelry. Um, and then there's like the house attached to the business of course and uh so when she was a year old her father moved their fam their family into that same house to take over the watch shop after i guess his father passed away mm-hmm. um and then she had three older aunts living with them as well so what they did was they bought the house that was behind that house mm-hmm. and these were both like built in like the 1500s so they're like old oh my god all, all, even by that time um and uh, it, the house was, uh, the combined house, it like had, both houses had like really different floor plans. So they kind of like had to join them with like this weird kind of um, stairway kind of. Like makeshift. Yeah. Like it was really, it was really kind of awkward. And if you look at the house plans, like the floor plans, <laughs> it just looks really awkward. And I don't know, like, yeah, just look it up. Like Corey Ten Boom's house. Um it's uh, it's a museum now. You can actually go there and oh yeah, it's really cool. That's dope. So the, the it was a very they were a very prominent family kind of in in the community in the town. They um they were very very prominent uh, Christians. They belonged to the Dutch Reformed Church. Um, her grandfather in 1844. Keep that year in mind. 1844. 1844. Her grandfather had begun to ha- hold um, prayer meetings in this house to pray for the Jewish people. And he believed that they would uh, one day have their nation back. Okay. They would have, and at this point there was no Israel nation of Israel. Okay. And it wasn't, wasn't even on the radar. Nobody was thinking that one day, you know, Israel's going to be a nation again. And they were mm-hmm. just like scattered peoples all over the world. Okay. Is this is a Jewish family? No, no. This is a Christian family, okay. not Jewish at all, but they've always really held the Jewish people in high regard because yeah. these are God's chosen people. Yeah. And um, so they've always been like praying for them, helping them, you know, and um, uh, so, yeah, she had this really, really strong Christian upbringing and... Um, the house was always open to helping people. It was always like taking people in who needed a place, which kind of reminds me of our house when we yes, were younger. Our like, upbringing. Our parents, like, they, they really, really wanted a house with a guest bedroom that they could fill so with people. So moved to a bigger house. So that was like the high, priority. high yeah. on the list of uh, things that we needed to have in the house. And there were like... There Countless were people. people who came through and just lived with us. For like months at a time. And I remember... I remember 
like we did some pretty weird rock star things. Like our so I remember my parents being like sitting me down as a young child and being like, So this stuff that we do as a family, you can't tell anyone about it. You can't tell your friends at school or really? anything. Yeah, because I was I was probably like eight or so when we started really opening our home because that's when we moved to the yeah. big house. And um I remember mom and dad helped people escape from the cult. And I remember dad telling me that like at one point years later saying, yeah, like I was actually a wanted man. Like these people actually had my name and they (laughs) knew like if we run into like, he he was like, I probably could have died at that point because there's this cult in our city that, uh, yeah, it's really sketchy, but yeah. 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 I mean, we had like like Multiple people, different situations, different lengths of time that they would stay there. But yeah, like they opened the house to help people who who needed it. And I think that's such a noble thing. Like if you, yeah, if you have a house and you have room, I think you're, you almost have an obligation to well, open your doors. It depends on your, your personality type, right? Like some people would never have the patience or the desire to help people in that yeah, way. Yeah, I know. I understand like you need to be generous and... I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, if basically like if you hear of somebody in need, like you, you should be willing to help them. And this was how our parents chose to help. And this is how Corey's parents chose to help as well. Um, so her mother died in 1921. Um, her brother and one of her sisters ended up getting married, you know, the aunts died over time. So basically it was like her father and then her oldest sister, Betsy and herself Mm -hmm. living in the house. Um, two spinsters and their dad, <laughs> basically. Um, so Are they spinsters to our standard or like that time standard? Because if you're like thirty, how old were they? Well, well, like- when when the war started, they were in their fifties. Oh, the girls. So, yeah, oh, so they okay. were they weren't okay. like so young were girls. Um, so I thought you were thinking like thirty. So I'm like, oh, no, no. I mean, okay, <laughs> okay. Anyway, okay. okay. Anyway, go so. On. Spinster's dad. Yes. So, um, Corey, well, one of the things that they did was um, after World War One, they took in German children mm-hmm. who, I guess, were orphaned by the war, um, which which was, I guess, would have been controversial after World War. You know, Germany was the main enemy in World War One as well. And so it would have been controversial to, to, to bring in German people to help them. It was just... They were just never averse to, like, they just didn't hold to any of those, like, um, cultural, you know, perspectives, I guess. So um, Betsy was a little sickly. She had been through some illnesses. So she kind of, like, took over taking care of the house. And Corey began to help her father with the watch business. And um, her father was, he was a really, really, like, kind, generous man. But he wasn't very, and he was very good at his work. But mm-hmm. he didn't have much business sense. So okay. he would just like, you know, not make people pay or whatever. Yeah. And <laughs> just giving away <laughs> a lot of free labor. Um, so Corey took over the business side of things and she, and it began, began to be like a more successful, profitable business. Yeah. And um, she actually went to school to become a certified watchmaker. Mm-hmm. And she was the first Dutch woman... To become a certified watchmaker. Ooh, la la. Yeah. 
So, um, yeah, she did really good work too. Like both of them just, um, took very, took a lot of pride in their work and, uh, they had a really good, uh, reputation in the town. And, um, and one of the things that, uh, Corey and Betsy did was they held Bible class classes for kids in the town, specifically for disabled handicapped kids. That was just, <laughs> she's jealous of, <laughs> I know. Your dog is just so You're too clingy. big. You're too big. You're She's literally, fit. her face is right in my face. Because the little one is lying on my lap and, and she wants to be on a lap too. She feels left out. You're not a lap dog. You're a giant. <laughs> Go lie down. <laughs> I'm sorry. There's no room for you. Oh. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Sorry. So, um... Yeah, so they they had this class of uh, kids, uh, disabled kids specifically, that they would spend time with and teach them about God and the Bible and everything. Um, So uh, her brother, Willem, was a Dutch Reformed minister. He ran a nursing home. And um, in the 30s, when the Jews began fleeing Germany, he opened up his uh, nursing home to be a shelter for these people who were fleeing Germany. Mm-hmm. And um, so again, like just all the kids just sort of like caught this spirit of helping people. Yeah. Um, from their parents and their grandparents. Like this Aww, was just like, the, so it's, it's like the family business. Yeah. Um, so they had been, Holland had been neutral during World War One, So they assumed that they would take that sort of same stance in World War Two, But um, it just didn't work for them because Hitler was dead set on yeah. using Holland. I don't think that he specifically wanted Holland. I think he just wanted access to other places from Holland. And he probably knew from experience, oh, Holland's going to be passive here. So maybe I'm not <laughs> sure, but um, like they fought for a few days. They tried like apparently like Queen uh, Wilhelmina did, did like a radio address to the country like uh, one day to say that they, they were going to stand firm and they were not going to capitulate and then literally that same day i think like later on in the day is when the bomb started to fall and uh Ooh. she fled and um the dutch boys they tried for a few days but they just couldn't they just, they just didn't they, have the power they just didn't have the power yeah. the capacity to withstand um uh the german army so uh holland fell the Nazis took over. Um, they set a curfew for 10 o'clock, and then later it was reduced to 6 o'clock, so you couldn't leave your house after 6 o'clock. Um, everybody had ID cards. All the Jews were issued with the yellow stars. Um, in the movie, Corey's father tried to get a, a star because of his, like, he wasn't Jewish. Yeah. But he tried to get one. I don't know how accurate accurate this was, but she did write the screenplay too. So there must be some sort of truth in that. Okay. Um, and just because he felt such an affinity for the Jewish people that he wanted Aww. to, to, to solidarity. Yeah. That's so sweet. <laughs> and they're like, no, you, you're not Jewish. You don't need a yellow <laughs> star. But he was just like this older man, like by this time he's in his eighties and he's not fully there anymore. Like yeah. he still, he understands to a degree, but he doesn't, he doesn't fully grasp like what's happening. Uh-huh. Um, so, um, they issued ration cards to any non-Jewish Dutch person would get a ration card, but the, I don't think the Jewish people got any. 
Okay. Basically just trying to starve them out. Um, they confiscated radios. And um, in the movie, uh, Corey was able to hide one radio. And mm-hmm. she gave them, like, their main radio, but she hid another one. So they're like, is, are there any other radios? She's nope. This is yeah. the only one. Um, so, but they did manage to keep one hidden so that they could listen to outside news. Um, and all their like Jewish neighbors and everybody just started to disappear. They just weren't there anymore, you yeah. know, like, cause they were just being arrested, I guess. Um, so yeah, all that was left in the house was Papa, Betsy and Corey. Um, their nephews, uh, kick, which I, I just love. Like, I think, it, I think it was a nickname. I heard it was a nickname for the name Christian. But it was K I K, Kick, and Peter were very active in the Dutch resistance at this time. Um, so uh, of course, Corey decides that they needed to, or I guess all of them really began to strategize for how they could all help people. So they've got like Willem, uh, Kick, Peter, like everybody in the family was involved in some way. Um, and I guess they had already decided they were going to be taking in people who needed help, like Jewish refugees or whatever, people who were trying to hide. Yeah. Um, and uh, she realized that they were going to need more ration cards to be able to get more food. Yeah. Um, so she went to a civil servant uh, who was the father of one of her previous students, one of her disabled students. And uh, so there was kind of that connection there already. And so she went to, uh, he was in charge of the local ration card office. So she went, sat down with him and and, uh, she was going to ask him for, literally, she was planning to ask him for five cards. Mm -hmm. She was literally going to say five. He asked her, how many do you need? And she was literally going to say five. And what came out of her mouth was a hundred. Oh, wow. And um, he gave them to her. Oh, okay. And he like created like some elaborate scheme where like they were like um, robbed oh. of oh, these okay. cards, and then uh, she was able to get like a hundred ration cards. Um, nice. So she was um, uh, at this point. She was introduced to the uh, Dutch underground, and uh, she was taken to a meeting after dark, after curfew, and everybody in the room was introduced to her as Schmidt. Oh, oh this is Mister Schmidt. This is Miss Schmidt. You know, these are all Schmidt's. And she's like, what's going on? Are they all related? And they're like, no, everybody's a Schmidt in the Dutch underground. <laughs> so um, they sent an architect um, named Schmidt okay. <laughs> to her house. Okay. And in the movie, her father is like, oh, you Schmidt? Are you related to so-and-so, this, these Schmidt's from over there? And she's like, no, Papa, no, he's not a real Schmidt. <laughs> So he came to try and find like a, a place where they could um, actually hide people. And so because their house had this really unique layout, they yeah. were able to find like these like just like really weird corners and rooms and stuff like that. Um, so in the very top floor, they they said like it, it should be like on the top floor. It gives them a little bit extra time to get up there because if the Gustavo comes in, they're going to start on the ground floor and search up. Yeah. So it gives you a little bit of extra time. Um, so her bedroom was on the very top floor and uh, there was like enough space at the back wall where they could kind of recreate her outside wall, but just a couple feet in and then like her little shelf that was there as well. So there was a little panel underneath the bottom shelf in her little closet 
and yeah. uh, and they would get back in into this space, and there was enough space to hold eight people. Okay. Um, for Holy. a very short period of time. Yeah. Obviously, but um, they they created an alarm system in the house, like there were these. But there were a couple of buzzers that they could ring and then they would like sort of ring in different parts of the house. Yeah. So when the, if the Gestapo came, they just had to press the button. And if you were, if you needed, if you were um, either a Jew or part of the underground or anybody else who was trying to hide, um, then uh, you knew like to get to the hiding place yeah. as quickly as possible. I'm getting shivers. Like and, I love stories like this. And uh, so they would do drills. They would just do random drills okay. throughout the day. And the underground told them they should, they should be able to get um, into the hiding place within 60 seconds. Okay. They got it down to 70. And we're not, ta- we're not just talking about like running up there and getting into the hiding yeah. place. You had to, if you were, if they were all eating dinner, you had to, they had to take the, all their dishes, all the food up there with them. So they had, no they had to make it look as if there were only three people living in the house. Yeah. If they if it happened in the middle of the night, you had to turn your mattress over okay. and like remake the bed because the Gestapo would feel for on the mattress yeah. to see if it was warm. So you had to oh really, really God. hide everything. They thought of everything. Um like like the number of ashtrays that were out in the house yeah, and cigarettes or cigars or whatever it was they were smoking. Any little sign that there was more than three people living in there had to be gone so you'd and just be on edge. up the steps in the room oh in, within like a minute. So you'd just be on edge 24-7. Yeah. Like, but they did drills yeah, all the time. And so uh, would they just like sleep upstairs on the very top floor? No, they had multiple rooms. I would only feel comfortable if I was like right by the trap door. <laughs> I know. Like, can can I just sleep in your room, Corey? <laughs> I'll just put a blanket outside the yeah. middle cupboard. Um, so what she did was she she would buy uh, when she was able to. She would buy these little cream puffs. I guess I don't know. It's like maybe a Dutch specialty. I don't know. But as an incentive to do well on the drills. Okay. So if they did really well, they would get like a, a little treat okay um because that would have been like really really rare in those days i guess so she said she was saying in one interview um they would say um they would come to her sometimes and be like don't you think it's time for a drill <laughs> just, so they, <laughs> just so they can get a little cream puff Aww. um but yeah she said like those were like some of the happiest times in the house when they had like all these guests and they would entertain themselves they would sing songs um, they would sing too loud mm-hmm. and the neighbors would come and be like, you guys need to stop singing so loud. They're going to find out. Oh, like and everyone knew. Yeah. The neighbors knew. Okay. Um, but, uh, and the Gestapo was really close by the Dutch police was really close by. Like they were not like in yeah. a remote area by any means. Um, and you can't even say like, oh, it's the radio. It's not us. Yeah. Cause, yeah, cause they're yeah. not supposed to have one. Yeah. Um, so as, as strong as they were in their Christian faith, they never tried to convert any of the Jews. They yeah. really were just there to help them. Um, and then one night, uh, she she had like a whole like sort of resistance group of her own. Mm-hmm. Like she had recruited like all kinds of people Schmitz. to like <laughs> all kinds of Schmitz to work <laughs> for her in her own little sort of group that she was like over. 
And uh, one time they heard that the Gestapo was going to take a hundred Jewish, like all the Jewish babies from this orphanage. And there were about a hundred of them and just take them away to kill them basically. So, um, she called them her boys. She had, she said she had about 30 boys and 20 girls. I don't know how to fully mute my iPad. I just, I I don't know. Anyway, sorry for the dings. That's people (laughs) talking. Um, so she had uh, her boys go in there to take to uh, take the babies. But the way that they did it, she said that what what she had been doing all along was there would be like some German military like soldiers who would come to her and be like, "We don't want to be a part of this anymore. Um, can you help us get out oh. and escape?" So she would help them. But you don't know if they're spies or not. Well, this is the whole risk the entire oh time. Oh, God. Um, but so she would help them. Um, but as long as they left their uniforms. So she had like a whole stash of German military uniforms. Oh, my God. That's such a good idea. So, so, so all of her boys go in there in these German uniforms and uh, take the babies. the babies. And then, um, and then apparently uh, what happened the next day when the actual German military came to take the babies, the orphanage staff were like, what are you talking about? What babies? You guys took them yesterday. Uh, <laughs> but did the staff know? I think that the staff were kind of in on it. At least some of them oh my kind God. of understood. But uh, so the boys went and took the babies, mm-hmm. to took them to a farm or someplace like that, and then gave them over to the, the girls who were working in the underground. And within one day, one day, they had all 100 babies placed in foster homes. In, like, German foster homes or, or Dutch. Dutch, like, non-Jewish homes? Yeah, most likely, yeah. So did they have them as, like, they were registered as, like, non-Jewish You know, she people? doesn't mention anything about that. Okay. Like, she doesn't know. She yeah, didn't I know. guess she wouldn't know the details. But I would imagine that they would have been passed off as, like, just Dutch babies. Okay, yeah. That's good. You know? Because, um, I mean, how do you even tell like how can you tell with a baby how can you tell with most adult jews i can't tell like yeah i don't understand the concept of like well there i mean there is no science behind the whole no, nazi no yeah i know philosophy the, the junk that they talk the measuring their head yeah <laughs> yeah when you watch some of those movies or documentaries it's like what the hell are you thinking like there's no logic or science behind no. that it's called eugenics, my yes, girl. Yes, yes. Um, uh, we won't get into that today. On February 28th, 1944. So this is 100 years. This is why I told you to keep in mind 1844. Exactly 100 yeah. years later yeah. is when all this is going down. So a man named Jan Vogel arrives. He, tell, he talks to Corey. He only talks to Corey. And he says that his wife has been arrested and taken to the local prison. And a German officer told him that if he could basically said, I will help your wife. Is he safe up there? It looks like he's going to fall off. Your dog is a cat, Gary. No, he's got the the couch arm there. He likes to be up high. Your dog is a cat. And he likes to be on soft things. Um... (laughs) Anyway, sorry. So he only uh, talks to Corey. Yes, he talks to Corey, and he says, "My wife has been arrested, and um, the local police officer, like, I found one who will um, sort of help her get out. 
uh, but he he's asking for six hundred guilders. I, I I did not look that up. Sorry, okay. um, but I think it was like a few hundred dollars. Okay. Um, so she agrees to help, and uh, she gathers up the six hundred guilders, and he comes and and tells him like to come back later in the day, and she would have the money for him. So he comes back later, but he comes back with Gestapo. Oh. So he was like they had asked him to like help help them. Uh, set her up basically because they had suspicions about her. Yeah. Um, but uh, so he returned later. They uh, there were six guests in the house that were able to get into the hiding place. Everybody else that was in the house was arrested. So Papa, Betsy, Corey, um, Noli, Willem, like all yeah. of her family was arrested. Basically, her nephews, everything. Um, and they found like actual. Jewish people over there. No. 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 Okay. That's coming. So Hold why on. did they arrest her? So they were arrested because they were going to help this man. Yeah. So, and they looked throughout the entire house yeah. for the secret room because they yeah. knew that there were secret rooms in these houses, but they couldn't find them. And uh, somebody had mentioned that they overheard one of the officers say that if there's a secret room in this house, it was built by the devil himself. <laughs> because he couldn't find it. They couldn't find it at all. Um, That's good. So um, now one one of the things that they would do in their shop um, to tell people that it was safe, there was like a little triangular sign or like kind of you would just put in the window or whatever, like an advertising sign. And uh, if that sign was out, that meant it was safe for you to come in. And ask for help or whatever, or you know, uh, stay yeah, for yeah. resistance workers to come in and and do whatever they got to do, right? Yeah. If if uh, if there was risk involved, if it wasn't safe for them to come in, they would take the sign down, and it was just like in the window, just like in yeah. and out kind of thing. So, um, when they were all in there, and this Gestapo were in there, and they were like questioning them and whatever, um, I guess. Betsy had kind of like knocked the sign down, just trying to be like subtle, like take the sign down out of the window. And one of the officers noticed and he put it back in the window and they hung around and waited for people to come into the shop. And there were about 30 people arrested that day. Oh my God. Who were coming into the shop. Yeah. Um, Now, most people were... So the officers knew about the sign thing? I think he just kind of guessed. Because maybe Because he saw her move it. Um, that was, that was my impression anyway. Okay. Um, so, uh, of all the people that were arrested that day, most of them were released except for Betsy, Corey, and her father. And, Mm -hmm. uh, when they, when they were arresting him, the officer offered to let Casper just stay to go to just stay in his house if he promised not to help the Jews anymore. And he said that if he was in his home, the doors were going to be open and he would always help whoever needed help in his yeah. home. And so they're like, all right, fine. Take him off to jail. Um, yeah. So he they were. just lied. I know. <laughs> no, but they wouldn't do that. Um, he, was, he was too much of a badass, man. Okay, oh, so I at this, lied and at this point, I know. But at this point, Betsy or Betsy is 59 Mm-hmm. Corey is 52 and Casper is, I think, 84. Okay. So, um, yeah, I mean, he could have just, they yeah. could have just sat back and just be like, oh, I'm too old to help. Yeah. You know, leave that for, that's a young person's game. Yeah. 
But I just think it's so fascinating that, like, they had this whole life beforehand. And, yeah, they were helping people or whatever. But there was never, like, any, like, legal ramifications, legal risks to your actual life just to help somebody. Yeah. And it was, but it was so ingrained in their character. That they couldn't. That they couldn't not do it. Yeah. And, and like, fully understanding what the consequences were if they got caught. And just living under this constant risk for a couple of years. Like, it was just amazing. So they were arrested and sent to um, the local prison, which I'm... Um, uh, Scheveningen prison? Cool. Yeah. Okay. Great. I'm not going <laughs> to try that again. So <laughs> she was sick at the time of her arrest. She just... She was just down, you know, under the weather, sick. But um, they put her into uh, solitary confinement because, you know, to keep her sickness, whatever it was, out of the rest of the gen pop. I even wrote gen pop. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Nolly and Willem were released immediately along with her nephew, Peter. Um, While she's... How's Kick doing? Kick... Kick, oh, he's, Kick he's remained in prison. Um, oh. He, yeah. Uh, she was never, they never saw him again, but he, oh, he did wow. end up dying in prison. So he was, went, ew. Oh. yeah. So it was the four of them, actually. Um, so while she's in prison, she, um, for three months in solitary, all she had was, um, she didn't even have a Bible. She had God, mm-hmm. basically. And then she had a little aunt. A little aunt. A little aunt aunt. friend who would come uh, out of this little crack in the wall or whatever. (laughs) And and that was basically like her only contact for these three months. And she's like a very social kind of person. And she wasn't, she'd never lived alone. She had never been alone. Yeah. So it was very, very difficult for her. Dude, solitary confinement freaks me the fuck out. I can't imagine like... They say that it does damage after even just a few hours, never mind days. I think, like, if if I had, like, books to read or something, I could handle it for a little bit That's of time. That's the whole horror I, of it. Well, I know, but... I, I, because I'm, I'm more introverted, I think that I could handle it for maybe a little bit longer than, uh, like an extroverted person. Oh my God. But I can totally see how it would, it would just destroy, destroy you psychologically. I need people. So, um, wow. Uh, after 10 days, Casper died, but she didn't know that right away, obviously, Mm -hmm. but she did eventually receive a letter from her sister, Noli, um, just, you know. Just a general letter, but on the envelope, she noticed that the address where it have, would, was written was kind of like slanted up towards the stamp, so okay. like pointing towards the stamp. And uh, so she Everything's peeled back a the stamp yeah. back then. Like she peeled that, oh. yeah. She peeled back the stamp, and underneath the stamp, it said, "All watches are safe," meaning that everybody had gotten out of the hiding place. And they had oh, been distributed. Yeah, all the watches were safe. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit, Kara. So um, they helped, I think it was around 800 people. Okay. In that. I don't know. Um, when did they invade? I think it was in 1940. So over the span of about four years, three, four years. 800, 800 people. 800 people. 100, 100 people, babies. That's 200 people a uh, a year? A year. I'm not 
speaking English. Yeah, so um, like some people would only be there for a few days. Yeah. Some people stayed for longer. Um, well, and then the hundred babies was And like then the hundred babies. Yeah. yeah. That's insane. So, oh, my God. Yeah, 800 people. So um, after three months, she was brought in for a hearing. And by hearing, I mean like a meeting with a lieutenant or judge, I think. Um, so he basically was like asking her questions. She was talking about all her work with the disabled children, um, uh, talking about, uh, God sharing the gospel with him. Um, and he criticized her for her work with the disabled children, just saying that, you know, basically they're not worth it. They're not, yeah. they're not valuable as human beings. Eugenics. And she's like, and, the, and she says in the eyes of God, a mentally disabled person might be more valuable than a watchmaker or a lieutenant. Yeah. <laughs> Basically just like, like just not taking it from him. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure if it was, was this same person or another like judge, but basically both her and Betsy were called in to testify in front of this judge. Again, just in the one-on-one meetings, um, multiple times, had multiple interviews and both of them would like share the gospel with him. And Betsy was that like, Betsy was like this beacon of love and light like even Corey just couldn't quite attain that same like she had like bitterness and anger towards her situation yeah and betsy was just like radiated this light and this love and she would just like insist on looking for like the beauty in every situation and she would go into these meetings with this judge and she would ask him if she could pray with him and and those people are annoying by the way Oh, I know, but but it's beautiful at the same time because she she prayed with him a few times and then he became like a friend to them. And yeah. in one of these meetings with Corey, he says like, look, this is all the evidence we have against you. And he had all the papers. He had yeah. everything right there in front of him. And then he throws them in the fireplace right in front of her eyes. And he's like, I just don't know what happened to it. <laughs> he's oh like, we have God. all this evidence, but Seriously? I just don't know what happened to it. So wait, so, did this guy get in trouble after her book was published? I, I, <laughs> probably wait, dead by then. This is after the war. It doesn't even matter. No. Um, so, um, so from there, they were sent to a political concentration camp for a few months and then on to Ravensbrück, which was a labor camp for women. And that was in Germany. So they're transported in the, like, like you hear about, like, in all the documentaries and books and all that kind of stuff in the cattle cars. Mm-hmm. Um, they were put to shoot, put to work. Obviously she, one of the things that she made, uh, was, was she, one of the things that Corey did was making radios. I'm not sure which camp it was in. Both of them were, you know, they had to do labor, but she was doing such a good job because mm-hmm. she just took proud pride in her work. And this is kind of along the same lines as like, you know, the little finicky kind of electrical and, and yeah. mechanical type stuff, same as watches. Um, and somebody came along and was like, you're doing too good a job. Like, this is for the Germans. Like, you need to you need hold, to pull it back a little make bit. Make it, like, self-destruct or something. Just, like, don't yeah. do such a good job. So she's like, from then, from then on, I didn't do such a good job. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she, they managed to smuggle a Bible into the camp. Um, and the way that she describes how it happened was, like, one of these, like, classic kind of, like, miracles it's just like it gives me chills where they're in they're ushered in to the i guess like the intake area or whatever they had to strip their clothing um 
they had to like go in for a shower and then come back to wherever their clothing was. And it was just kind of a free for all. Mm-hmm. And, um, but then they were searched like several times yeah, yeah, for always. any, any contraband. And, uh, she prayed that, mm-hmm. that, um, they would not be able to, that they would not search her. And she, she prayed that her angels would become like, this is the way she describes it, that her angels would be untransparent because she's like, the angels are yeah. like in the spirit world, they're <laughs> transparent. Like you see right through them. Right. So she's like, just make them untransparent for right now. Twice. She said twice this happened. They searched the person in front of her. They searched Betsy. They searched everybody around her. They did not search her. Yeah. Twice. Two different searches in the same period of time. So she was able to smuggle a tiny little Bible into the camp. Like a Gideon's Bible. (laughs) Like in the movie, it's really small. But I don't know how how big it actually was. But I just think like like one time, maybe a coincidence, you know, lost in the hullabaloo, all the chaos. But twice, Germans and and chaos. they're and they are used to doing this. They know what they're doing. They're yeah, very yeah. very good at what they're doing. At this point, it's 1944. Mm-hmm. They know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And to miss somebody twice in a search, it's yeah. just unheard of. Like that that didn't happen. So God made her invisible. <laughs> I just I just like I get chills at things like that. Or oh, I've yeah. heard stories like that before. So and like. They're uh, set up in these barracks with 700 other women that was built for 200. Oh, my God. And it was filled with, like, fleas and lice. And at first, Corey was just, like, so disgusted by it and just, like, complaining to Betsy. And Betsy's, like, insisted that they thank God for them. Mm -hmm. She didn't know why. but, But it turns out that the guards wouldn't enter those barracks because of the fleas and the lice. So they were basically left alone to do whatever they wanted in the barracks. Nice. And they would have like these Bible studies and worship services and just like minister to, to the rest of the women. And, um, it was just, it was just crazy. And she said like, right, right. Um, at the beginning, she, at some point she got a cold and she didn't have a handkerchief mm-hmm. and she was complaining to Betsy that she didn't have a handkerchief. She needed a handkerchief because she had a cold. And B- Betsy's like, oh, we'll just pray for one. <laughs> that was always her response. Just pray about it. <laughs> so Betsy prayed for a hanky. And immediately, immediately, a friend comes by the barracks with a package for Be- for Corey with a handkerchief in it. And she was <laughs> Wait, like... Wait, they were getting like Amazon packages? <laughs> or like mail? I don't know if this was a woman who was like in the camp, like working. I think I think she was working in the laundry room or the sewing room or something like that and and she had just had a a sheet she was ripping up sheets to make hankies and she felt like i thought you meant they were getting mail no no (laughs) no like she felt like god told her Corey needs a hanky oh my god sorry sorry that's me ah shit i'm giving you a hard time sorry (laughs) everybody knows everybody has iphones (laughs) um yeah. Yeah. Okay. So hanky. she felt like God told her that Corey needs a hanky. So she oh brought God. her a hanky. Yeah. It was just just the little things like that. It's just <laughs> crazy. Um so uh so they're in Ravensbrook for I mean just a few months. Like this is like towards yeah. the end of the war. So it wasn't like they were in there for years, but 
um, Betsy was just like already like more weak and sickly. Like she had been her whole life. So she just kept getting progressively weaker and weaker. Mm. And, um, but she never lost sight of, um, her, uh, relationship with God and, um, preaching the gospel, you know, sharing that with, with the people that were around her. And, um, and, um, she shared with Corey how she had, a she was just like in a really sick state and she, but she was sharing how she just had this vision of like, they had a house, a big house in Harlem where they would like help people mm-hmm. who were, um, trying to like recuperate after the war. And, uh, sh- and she saw them having a owning a concentration camp mm. and just completely re designing it, it, making it a beautiful place of restoration. And she said like (laughs) all the buildings were painted green and there were flowers everywhere. And, um, uh, and including all the, including the Germans, Mm -hmm. she wanted to help everybody. Mm -hmm. So, and she also said that by the end of the year, they would be released by the end of 1944, they would be released. Okay. December 16th, 1944, yeah. Betsy dies. Oh, wow. So she's released. Yeah. And uh, on December 28th, Corey was released due to a clerical error, which she found out later. She oh. wasn't supposed to be released, but she was literally released from when the prison. Was this December? December 28th. 28th. Okay. 1944. A week after she was released, all the women her yeah. age were sent to the gas chambers. <gasps> Holy. Yeah. Oh my God. One week to spare. Mm. So just like chills. I can't think of that. So she makes oh her way God. back to Holland from Germany and, um, and she just starts helping people right away. Like she goes back to the Bay, the house with the watch shop and everything. Mm-hmm. They she eventually and did end up getting a big house in Harlem mm-hmm. and it was used as a place of like hope and restoration. She got a concentration camp. Mm-hmm. She, I don't know if she like purchased it or if she was just given control of it. Mm-hmm. She painted all the buildings green. <laughs> they planted flowers. They made it like this beautiful like rehabilitation center for people. Um she really focused a lot on not just the concentration camp survivors, but also the uh, people who had the Dutch who had been collaborators with the Germans who were basically shunned. They had no jobs, no how, like mm-hmm. they were nothing. Like they were basically um, pariahs yeah. because yeah. they had collaborated with the Germans, but she opened up the doors to them to help them. And yeah. um, which is just like incredible. So from there, like she goes all over the world sharing her story um, and the gospel. Like she was, she went to 62 countries. So she's like, I guess she's about, oh, so like mid fifties. And then, so for then, then the next 20, almost 30 years, mm-hmm. she's traveling around. Like talk about a life change. Wow. To go from being like just a watchmaker, like your whole yeah. life is in this one building, to now you're traveling around the world, like spending your later years, yeah, yeah, traveling around the world, preaching the gospel in in different churches, different settings, um, doing writing books. Like she wrote, 
Um, I counted, I found a list of all her books and I counted like 30 something hmm. books that she wrote. Wow. Um, I can't even make write one. I know, right? <laughs> so, uh, and then there was like one, she shared a story about how, um, at one of the meetings where she was speaking, one, uh, man who had been a guard in in the camp in Ravensbrook mm-hmm. who had been particularly cruel to Betsy. Okay. Um just took pleasure in just like inflicting pain and cruelty on her. Yeah. Um he approached her at a meeting to ask for forgiveness. Oh. And uh, I think I heard this story. And uh, cuz yeah. he had found God and he had been um he had been he felt he had been forgiven by God but he he really wanted to Make ask amends, forgiveness yeah. from somebody who he had harmed. And uh, she said she really, really struggled with that, with just like this hatred and bitterness towards him for how he had treated her sister. But um, she was actually able to do it well, in that moment. Like not on her own strength. Like this is not something that yeah, you can just no. do. But this was like her whole thing was like forgiveness and uh, restoration. It's also like, what would Betsy do? Because it sounds yeah, like Betsy what would, would Betsy just do? forgive yeah. right away, you know? And, uh, but this was like her, her entire message yeah. was just forgiveness and reconciliation. Like, that's the yeah. way forward. That's the way that you, you uh, find true healing. Yeah. And uh, so in that moment, she just kind of went through like all these emotions and thoughts in her head. And, and just eventually she just like, it wasn't her ability to forgive him. It was like. God forgiving him through her and she she went to shake his hand and she just felt like she said she felt like this just ocean of just like God's love just like yeah going between the two of them and it's just so miraculous and beautiful I get chills so in 1971 is when she wrote The Hiding Place the book which tells the story of what happened in the house and then and then in 1975 it was turned into a movie okay which I already mentioned she helped to write the screenplay. She has one of the credits. Um, in 1977, she moved to California. So she's like from, eight, from, from Europe. Um, in 1978, she suffered two strokes. So um, resulting in paralysis and uh, she was unable to speak. And so for a few years, she, she hung on for another five years and she died Get this, on her 91st birthday, April 15th, 1983. Um, uh, and it said in Judaism that uh, to die on your birthday is actually a very, very special thing. And it says, uh, I got this from uh, Chabad.org. Mm-hmm. Um, the Talmud teaches that Moses passed away on the seventh day of the Jewish month of Adar, which was his 120th birthday. Um, the Talmud explains that God calculates and completes the lifespan of a righteous person. As we read in Exodus 23, 21, I will complete the number of your days. Why is this significant? The Hasidic masters explain that on the day we are born, we are entrusted with a mission. The righteous person lives his life, achieving his fullest potential and completes his mission on earth in the most perfect way possible. This perfection is expressed in the fact that his mission ends on the very same day that it was begun. 
Oh my god! So talk about now, pressure. Now I don't I don't know like how I feel like theologically about yeah, that. No, like no, we're not we're not Jews, but no, the fact but it is like but a the one fact, in three hundred and sixty five. I know, and just the fact that her entire mission, especially during the war and even before that, was towards the Jewish people. Yeah, and then to have yeah. her, she dies on her birthday. Yeah, and this is a very very significant thing in Judaism. I just I think that's really special, that's cool. and it's yeah. such a cool detail. Um, that would be that would actually be kind of cool. Yeah, like just in twenty one hundred on my birthday in November <laughs> in twenty one hundred because I want to live in three different centuries. <laughs> So I have to be 115 when I die. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> lot of I'm not going to make there. it. I'm not going to make it. <laughs> that would mean I'm 121. I'm not going to make it that long. <laughs> um, so uh, one of the cool things like, I, I love, um, one of my, my favorite European accent speaking the English language is the Dutch accent. Oh yeah. So I just love listening to her like talking because she oh, just okay. has that wonderful yeah. Dutch accent. It's my absolute favorite. I don't know why. Weird. Um, <laughs> I don't think that's a common take. <laughs> no, I don't I don't know, but uh yeah anyway. That's cool. Well I, I'm kind of um low-key obsessed with South African accent and which has a little bit of a dutch oh yeah touch it's to definitely it. very dutch so some of the honors that she received um uh in 1967 the yad vashem remembrance authority in israel named her righteous among the nations mm. for her work with with um uh the jewish people oh wow um that's something that's given to people who are not jewish okay who help out the jewish people um yeah so i think also oscar schindler was one okay uh people like that um she was knighted by the queen of the netherlands oh uh her former house is now a museum which i would love to go to someday that is so cool. and you can actually like go and see like the the hidden room yeah and they've kind of opened up a spot in the brick wall so you can actually like look in and you can crawl through the little opening and that just that reminds me of our old place where the, like the closet was like, <laughs> like oh that. yeah yeah but it yeah but anyway. no for legit that's um cool. and then the King's College in in New York City named a women's house after her mm. I don't know if that's like a Christian college or not but it sounds like it's the King's College I don't know sounds but like King's, could be. King's University or something is Christian and that's in Canada but anyway. Anyway, that is uh, Corey Ten Boom. That's awesome. Very, very fascinating lady, and you can yeah. you can watch like um, interviews and like uh, messages if you're interested in like hearing her speak at all. But like on YouTube, yeah, all in the you know really grainy 1970s, 1980s. <laughs> well, I guess maybe not the 1980s. She was um, that was post stroke, but yeah, 60s and 70s kind of yeah. footage of her speaking. Oh, that's and cool. it's just like this nice looking like grandma type lady, although she yeah. never married, never had any children. She was single yeah. her entire life. But um, yeah, just like a, a real heart for people and to help people no matter what the cost. And I, I, I like it's a lesson to learn that no matter how old you are, it's not too late to yeah to really step up into like. Um, There's so many stories like just that, that I love. Do stuff. Yeah. 
Just get off your ass and, and do stuff. <laughs> and to all those parents that like to pressure their kids to get married and have kids, it's like she may not have kids, but there are 800 people alive that are How about those 100 Jewish babies? She didn't have kids. I mean, like... Like yeah. how, how many people are alive today, like from those 100 Jewish yeah. babies? That I wonder die, if they would yeah. ev- have even known if they were just like adopted out into families. Yeah. Hey. They were in the orphanage. And then think so, about like all of the from the eight hundred people that whose lives are saved. Yeah. All of the lineage from them would be in the yeah. thousands and thousands. At this yeah, point. just completely so, I mean, change the the heritage of those yeah. families. Um, yeah. It's just it's amazing. Like the the bravery, the strength, the um courage that it takes to do that, to fly in the yeah. face of the authority who's basically saying it's illegal for you to help somebody at the cost yeah. of your life. And freedom. Yeah. I mean, Kate, you and I, we're both like very stubborn and we have like very hard stances on things. And we're like, yeah, like this is how justice should be. And then it's like, and then the second, (laughs) I don't know about you, but like the second, like someone approaches me, I'm like, oh, okay. Okay. All right. Like, it's so hard to actually like, like I'm getting better at that, but it's so hard to be like, no. Like, yeah. Like I, I, I wonder often like how I would react if it was like in that situation. Uh, Yeah. When I was a kid and I first heard about World War II and like Anne Frank and all those things. Oh, that's another good one. Ooh, yeah. (laughs) And all the other, like, and all the things that, that, that people like that had to go through. Um, I remember being like, just having this like existential question where I'd be like, well, I know that lying is bad, but what if I was in World War II and I had to lie and say that there was no Jews in the house, even though I knew that there were Jews in the house, you know, like that would be such a huge conundrum. Like I didn't know if I could lie, but then I would be saving people's lives and you know, like, so, I mean, now it's so easy as an adult, I'd be like. Hell no, no, there's no Jews here. It's fine. It's all good. But I mean. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even the very act of having them in your house, though, like that's a form of lying. And and the whole building the secret room purposely to hide people from the law. Like that was like all of it was illegal and all of it was breaking the law. God looks at the big picture there. Like it's not a nitty gritty shit. But (laughs) yeah. Yeah. That's. That's crazy. Anyway. I had no idea that she was so dope. Yeah. Total, total badass broad, I think. Yes. In my opinion. She gets the stamp. <laughs> we should make we a, need a stamp. A we need to like stamp. buy a stamp that's like B-A-B stamp of approval. <laughs> um, no, I think we're rambling now. I think we're good. <laughs> oh, anyway. that's good. Yeah. That's, that's cool. Corey. I loved it. Well... If you enjoyed the story this week, please hit subscribe, rate, and review. That helps us out a lot. And find us on Instagram at The Badass Broadcast. And as always, see you you next next Thursday. Thursday.